Well, good morning, everybody. It's so great to be in your homes, to be engaging with you, and uh, to get this opportunity to share something that I think God has put on my heart that's really going to help you in life and help you in moving forward in God. I don't know how many of you have ever visited a stately home. Uh, This week, my wife and some of the girls went up to Chatsworth House uh, and looked around that place. It's, It's a beautiful, stately home. I actually grew up in Hampton, not far from Hampton Court Palace. And I remember as a young teenager, 13 years of age, the first time I went into Hampton Court Palace, went into all the different rooms there, saw this stately home, saw these amazing paintings, amazing vessels, all kinds of things there that were literally 500 years old, some of those things. And I remember the impact it made on me. In fact, as a teenager, my friend and I used to go every week to Hampton Court Palace. Back in those days, there was a little card with, with, with all the different rooms in the palace. And it was a little bit like a bus ticket. You clipped each one once you'd been in there. And what we used to do very cleverly was wait till sort of mid-afternoon when all the tourists were catching the coaches back to their flights or back to their hotels. And they would drop their cards and we'd pick them all up, have half a dozen cards. And all the rooms that were not used, we would go in there for free. And I remember doing that for a whole year and spending a whole year looking around Hampton Court Palace. I I knew the maze like the back of my hand uh, and I used to guide people through the maze at Hampton Court as a young teenager. But the impression of that stately home was amazing. And then when I was a lot older, I flew to India and different parts of the world where I saw unbelievable poverty. People living literally in tin shacks, no running water, uh, uh, nothing there to speak of that was of any impressive import or, or, or anything that you would look at and say, yeah, I'd really like to have something like that. And so I've seen both extremes of something that has very little value that we place upon and something that has immense value. And Paul uses this as an illustration when he's writing to a young pastor and he wants him to understand that in life, the choices you make have significance in determining how God uses you and who you become. The choices that you make have significance in how God uses you And who you become. Now, there's many things in life that you and I have absolutely no control over. You you didn't decide which country you were going to be born in. You didn't decide who your biological parents were. Your hair is the color it is because of genetics, because of DNA that has come down to you, either from your mother or from your father. You didn't decide where you would live. Your parents decided that for you. It's only as you became older that you began to make decisions about what you would wear, what music you would listen to, who your friends would be. And as you matured, you realized that within the constraint of where you lived or where you were born or the language that you spoke, you could make certain choices within that framework. And actually, if you wanted to, you could enlarge that framework. So there was a time where my family and I, we moved to Denmark And all of our kids, we put them into Danish schools. It was traumatic for the first month or two. Kids crying every day. Dad, this is too hard. But in six months, our youngest children were all speaking Danish fluently. We added a new language, something they were not born into, but something they were able to embrace through choice. And so in life, there's things that you can control and things you can't control. There's things that you can influence and things that you can't influence. 
Paul uses this as a powerful metaphor, and I want to read to you the scripture today, and I want to encourage you in the kind of choices that you're making, even through difficult times, those choices influence how you will ultimately be used by God. Let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we're going to read from verse 20. Here's Paul, and here's what he has to say. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. Now, how many of you know in every house, even in your home, there's things that you have that you put on display, the gold, the silver. I have something I've inherited from my grandfather. It's a beautiful silver uh, box that he was awarded for years of service as a captain on, on the shipping, the Cunard Line shipping company. And it's something that's come down through the generations. And we have it on display in our home. It's very valuable. It's very precious to me. I'm quite sentimental about it. But there's other things that we don't put on display. For instance, you don't put a toilet brush in the middle of the room for everyone to look at. It has a utilitarian value. I'm not saying you can't use it. I'm just saying there's a certain place that you put it, and there's certain times you use it, and you don't advertise it to everybody. It's there. It's not what we call a vessel of honor. It's a vessel of dishonor. That doesn't mean it isn't useful. That doesn't mean it isn't helpful. It just means you don't put it on display. You put it somewhere where it can't be seen and use it when it's needed. But there are other vessels, there are other things that we like to put on display because they look good, they appear good, and they're things that we think are of great value. Paul is intimating that in a house, you, everybody has these kinds of things. I remember my mother, you know, when we were having normal food as a family, we had certain plates and cups that we used. And it was interesting to me as I grew up that, that when we had friends over, my mother would say, no, 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 not those plates, the special plates. And we had a special china set where everything matched. The, the cups, the sauces, the side plates, the big plates, the soup bowls, everything was fantastic. And, and it was so valuable, we didn't use it most of the time. That's the incredible thing. But when my parents wanted to impress their friends or guests that we had over, it was the special place. And I remember as a teenager feeling so nervous carrying these plates, I better not drop this, otherwise I'm going to be in big trouble. That's what Paul is getting at here. Now listen to this next sentence. He says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, the latter is the things that's dishonorable, okay? If anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified, set apart, useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Now, let me be really clear here. Every single person who's surrendered their life to Jesus Christ and said yes to him to be Lord and Savior is going to be used by God. You're part of the family of God. You're accepted into that family. But there's another side to that coin. And the side to that coin that I want to explain to you today is the fact that you and I get to make certain choices. And Paul says here, if you decide to cleanse yourself. Now, 
there's a cleansing that only God can do. The cleansing from sin, the cleansing from guilt. We call that salvation. If you want a theological term, we call it justification. It is where God redeems us from our old life, our old life of sin, our old life of being captive to the devil, our old way of thinking, and we enter into a new life in Christ, and then slowly our mind becomes renewed, and we begin to think differently, we begin to act differently, we begin to see life differently. That's the sanctification, the setting apart process. And in that process of being set apart, that's where your choices make a real difference. You can't cleanse yourself from sin, but what you can do is you can say, that particular choice is going to take me in a direction and going to take me down a path where I know I'm not going to be as useful to God as if I didn't do that. And so in these next verses, Paul unpacks three things that he advises Timothy to do. One is to flee or to run. One is to pursue and one is to avoid. So those three things are the things that I want to unpack to you this morning. Things that you need to run from, that you need to flee from, things that you need to run towards or that you need to pursue, and things that you need to avoid or to sidestep. And I believe if we do those three things, as Paul advises here, we become vessels useful for the master. God can use us, Paul says here, prepared for every good work. Now, now, if you're a vessel of honor and you're prepared for every good work, it means God can use you any moment at any time. But if you're not a vessel of honor, you're a vessel of dishonor, God might say, you know, I'm not going to use you for that thing. I'm not going to use you for that. Yeah, I'll use you for that. It won't be seen. It'll be a bit hidden. Yeah, it'll be useful to my purpose. But the best things that I have I can't use you for that. Why? Because you haven't made the right choices to cleanse yourself. You get where I'm going with this. This becomes really important. So let's look at how Paul unpacks this. We're going to look at this first thing about fleeing, running away. You have to know what you've got to run away from. You know, and as Christians, there's some things we need to run away from, literally. Uh, do you remember when Joseph was being tempted by part of his wife? He literally ran away. He, he left his garment. He got out of there as quick as he could. He didn't get on his knees and pray that God would help him resist temptation. It wasn't a time to pray. It was a time to run. Now, there is a time to pray when you're having a devotional time, when you're alone with God. You pray, but, but when you're in the midst of temptation, you either have to resist or you have to run. You have to do one of those two things. Paul says here, I want you to flee youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the name of the Lord, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they gender strife. Three words there, to flee, to pursue, and to avoid. Fleeing youthful lust. You know, this word lust, it's kind of got a bad press, really, because we kind of, we tend to, as soon as we hear the lust, the word lust, we tend to go towards uh, sexual lust. We tend to go towards uh, people who can't control their sexuality. But Paul says here, I want you to avoid and flee youthful lusts. Now, 
let me sort of unpack this, this word uh, lust here. It, it's actually epithime is the Greek word, and it's translated two other times by Paul himself describing himself as the word desire. So lust is simply desire, but often taken to an extreme. So there's nothing wrong with desire. God has put desires in you. In fact, in the Psalms, it says God gives you the desires of your heart. I believe that means he puts them there in the first place in terms of passion, but also God wants to fulfill our desire. God does not want us to be unfulfilled people. But Paul says here uh, in Philippians 1.23, he says, you know what? I'm caught between two tensions here, a desire to depart and be with Christ and then a desire to serve you and to be with you. Paul felt that pull. And that word desire is exactly the same word translated lust. He desired to be with Jesus. He he had a longing to be with Jesus. We could say he had a lust to be with Jesus. Nothing wrong with that. And so the Bible tends to look at the context, and when it's negative, it tends to translate it as lust. When it's positive, it tends to translate it as desire, but it's actually the same root word. In 1 Thessalonians 2.17, he says to the believers there, you know, I have a strong desire to greatly see your face. He, He had to be taken away from them very quickly. And every time he tried to go to Thessaloniki, he was blocked. It couldn't happen. But he had this desire. He had this longing. He had this passion where he wanted to see these people. Well, Paul says here, you've got to learn to run away from youthful lusts. Now, let me unpack that a little bit because... You know, I have six children. I've watched them grow up. I've grown up as, as a teenager myself. I've observed young people. And the thing about youthful desires is often they're misplaced because we don't really know who we are in God. I think one of the greatest youthful desires that I see people is the need for acceptance by their peers. And when you are living with a desire that becomes like so strong that you cannot make choices for yourself, but you get caught up with the crowd, and under peer pressure, you begin to make choices you would never make if you were on your own. That, my friends, is a youthful lust. That's a youthful desire. You are so desiring to be accepted by your friends that you cannot handle rejection from them because you made the right choice. Can I encourage you, if you're a young person, Can I encourage you, learn to develop backbone. Learn to develop the ability to say, no, I'm not doing that. And if your friends mock you or make fun of you, just walk away. Just run away. Flee, Paul says. Flee that temptation. Flee that scenario. I think within our cultural context, women are under tremendous pressure. And I'm talking particularly to teenage girls They're under tremendous pressure to look a certain way, to have a certain makeup, to have a certain weight. If your body weight is not right, according to all these magazines like Esquire and Vogue and all these other uh, parts of our culture that, that, that define what beauty looks like, the problem is if you compare yourself to those magazines, you are never going to live up to that expectation. And so what happens? You, you begin to become bulimic or anorexic or, or self-harm. All kinds of pressures come into your world where you start to do things in order to conform to the expectations of culture that is not a godly expectation. I want to tell you, if you're a young 
teenage woman and you're growing up and you're feeling the pressure, I want to tell you God loves you exactly for who you are today. He knows who he made you to be. He has a destiny for you. He has a call for you. And if you are under pressure to become something that you are not, I want to encourage you, just run away from that. Don't go on that website. Don't go to those places that put that kind of pressure on you and cause you to desire something that God doesn't want you to desire. He wants you to be satisfied with who he made you to be. I think from then, uh, there's a pressure there to always look the macho guy, to be the muscly guy, to be the strong guy. And men have this sense of desiring to compete and to win. And, and, and can I just say once again, you know, you don't always have to win to be a winner. You don't always, you just have to play the game with all your heart, with all your energy. And I think sometimes there's this need to conform to culture. And what we're doing is we're giving in to youthful lust because youthful lust is saying, this will get me accepted by my peers. This will, make, this will validate me as a person. This is where I will find my sense of personhood and identity. And all of that can become an illusion. And you know what? At the end of the day, you won't up, end up as a vessel of honor. A vessel of honor is somebody who frees themselves from those kinds of pressures. And the way you free yourself is by pursuing the right thing. So we've talked about what we run away from. But listen, if you're running away from something, you're running towards something. And so in the Bible, it isn't just about what's behind you. It's about what do you put in front of you? What are you running towards? What are you pursuing? And again, Paul is very specific here. He says, look, I want you to pursue righteousness or justice, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. I wonder today if you understand what it means to pursue those things. You know, in your relationships, the word righteousness in, in, in the Greek, the root word is all about right relationships, actually. And so when we pursue uh, seeking the kingdom of God first and his righteousness, we're looking to see God's justice expressed in the world. But justice has no meaning outside of the context of relationships. And so relationships have to be right. We have to be right with God, but we have to be right with one another. And we have to do the right thing for one another. Paul says, I want you to pursue that. So even in a context where Paul in the first century where there was slavery and it was ubiquitous. It was everywhere in the Roman Empire. Paul writes to the masters of slaves and he says, I want you to treat your slaves like their brothers, not like their slaves. And I want you to remember you have a master in heaven. And then he says to the slave men, I want you to remember that Christ has set you free and you're not in bondage to any man, but you're free in Christ. But I want you to serve your master like you were serving Jesus. And don't see yourself as a victim to a master. See yourself as a servant of Christ. And when you serve that master, you're serving Jesus and he will reward you. Paul turns the whole thing around so that everyone can become a vessel of honor because they're pursuing righteousness. He says you've got to pursue love. You've got to pursue faith. You've got to pursue peace. All these words are meaningless outside of the context of relationships. 
And so Paul is saying, look, in your relationships, is there peace in your relationship? Or are you the know-it-all, the tell-it-all? Are you the control freak who always has to have your way? But are you a peacemaker? Uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, it's the peacemakers who are going to be called the sons of God. They're the people who help bring reconciliation. Are you the person who's able to pursue faith? And Paul says, I want you to run after that. Be a man of faith. When you make choices in life, don't make them out of fear. Don't make them out of guilt. Don't make them out of shame. Not because your peer uh, friends are telling you this is what you should be doing. No, make choices because you believe that this is the best way forward. And remember, the goal here is that God wants you to be a vessel of honor. But not everybody makes that choice. You know, there were 12 men sitting in the boat with Jesus or or when Jesus was walking on the water, but only one was pursuing faith. Only one said, Lord, if that's you, bid me walk on the water with you. The others were not pursuing faith. They were watching faith. They were observing faith. They were writing about faith. And it's interesting to me, there's so many Christians doing that today on the internet. They're talking about faith. They're writing about faith. They're observing faith. But who's living by faith? Who's making a difference? Who's having an impact? Who's pursuing faith in their life and pursuing faith in their ministry and pursuing an expression of faith so that God can be glorified and people can say, wow, no man could have done that. God did it. That's what it means to pursue faith. Hey, listen, you get to make choices about what you're running from and what you're running towards. And then the final point that Paul makes here that I really love, he says, there's things you need to avoid. Avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they gender strife. You know, there are some people who just love to argue. They just love to pick up one little point or one little thing and just go on and on and on. And Paul says, you know what? That is unprofitable. That will not help you become a vessel of honor. You know, it's, it's interesting to me that, that so many people feel that they have not only the right to have an opinion, but the necessity of sharing their opinion. And, and I want to tell you something. Whilst it's true that everybody is equal in terms of value, not every idea is equal. Some ideas are dumb, they're stupid, and they should be avoided. Now, I'm not saying people are dumb and stupid. I'm saying that people believe some dumb ideas. And there's nothing wrong with understanding the thought behind an idea. Where's it rooted? Where does it come from? And over the years, you know, one of the things that I've tried to do is I've tried to be a disciplined student. I've tried to be somebody who tries to get at the root of things and tries to understand things. And I've tried to dedicate my life to understanding the nature of faith and the nature of a walk with God and the nature of leadership. And how can we do this in the best possible way? I've given my life to training and developing other people to pursue that kind of passion in order to create vessels of honor that God can use in any context. Listen, if you're somebody who just likes to argue for the sake of argument, let me encourage you today, get over yourself. Get over yourself. 
not every opinion is valid. Listen, if you really want to be a man or a woman of conviction, Paul says this, study to show yourself approved to God, a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. In other words, Paul is saying this, become a craftsman. Now, he's writing that to Timothy in relationship to scripture. He's saying, become a craftsman when it comes to handling the text. There's a right way to divide it, there's a wrong way to divide it. But you can use that in every area of life. If you're gonna be a doctor, don't just be a doctor, be a brilliant doctor. Be the kind of doctor that when people walk into a hospital or they walk into a surgery, they say, I wanna, I wanna speak to that doctor because they're insightful, because they listen to what I say, because they diagnose accurately. Come on, we've gotta become the best at what we do. And that takes effort, that takes study, that takes time, that takes sifting through ideas because not every idea is a good idea. It takes sifting through and reading and developing yourself. And if you do that, Paul says, you know what, in a big house there are vessels. If you love God and you've said yes to Jesus, you're a vessel. But my question to you today is what kind of vessel are you? Are you a vessel of honor? Are you a vessel of dishonor? Are you a vessel that God wants to show off? Or are you a vessel that he just puts to one side and just uses occasionally? Hey, you get to make that choice. God doesn't get to make that choice. You do. If you cleanse yourself, if you say no to the right stuff, if you say yes to the right stuff, if you avoid the stuff that you know is simply a distraction, to take you off target, you will become a vessel of honor and God will use you for his choices purposes. We're gonna to pray together right now. Father, for everybody watching this video who's faced some challenges during this season, I thank you that the hand of God and the finger of God is very specific when it comes into our life. We know the things we need to turn away from that have just brought fear and insecurity, that have brought guilt and condemnation. Where we've tried to seek the approval of men, we turn away from that right now. And we move towards pursuing righteousness and faith and love and peace, things that are expressions of your eternal kingdom. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will empower by your grace, people's choices this morning. That not only would they be running away from stuff, but they'd be running towards stuff and avoiding the bypasses along the way that are simply distractions. Just help us to be men and women of deep conviction. And if you're listening this morning and maybe you've never yet made that first commitment to Jesus of surrendering your life to him, I want to tell you that the good news is this. God loves you. And that despite the things in your life that you know that are wrong, the things that you're ashamed of, the things that you know have separated you from God, God has made a way back through Jesus Christ. No sin is so great that God cannot forgive it. In Jesus Christ, there is freedom. In Jesus Christ, there is forgiveness. In Jesus Christ, there is a way back to God to know him as Father once again. 
If you desire to do that today, I want you to say a very simple prayer like this. Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for his death on the cross that's paid for all my sins. Thank you that I don't need to live in the shame and guilt of all the things that I've done wrong. But then in Jesus Christ, you've forgiven me. Thank you for his resurrection, which is his victory over death and Satan and his victory over sin. Thank you that today Jesus Christ is Lord. And so I freely confess Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. Amen. Hey, friends, if you said that prayer, you know, the Bible says all of heaven is rejoicing in this moment. It would be so great if you wouldn't mind just going online, letting us know that you've made that decision. Stuff is coming up now. It's just so good when we say yes to God because we have the potential to become all that he has created us to be. Have a great day. Shalom be upon you. It's been so great to be with you. God bless you. I'm going to hand back to Mark If now. you said yes to Jesus today, we're celebrating with you. We would love to pray with you and send you a Bible and some resources to get you started on your faith journey. Please go to equippers.co.uk forward slash I said yes or follow the link in the chat box so we can get in touch.